I want to talk to you about the passing of Mary. Okay. Um, death is a punishment for sin. And being a punishment for sin, it would seem that the Blessed Mother of God would be exempt from, who was exempt from the slightest stain of sin, should also be exempt from death and from encountering the misfortune to which the children of Adam were infected by the poison of original sin. God was pleased that Mary should in all things resemble Christ. And as the Son of God dies, it was becoming that the Mother of God also should die. God wished, if she died, God wished to set before us an example of the death of the just in Mary, so that we too could see the reward that waits for those who love God. Mary's death was a sweet and a happy passing. Her passing was precious because of the special favors which accompanied it. And secondly, on the, the account of the manner in which it took place. What do you know about the passing of Mary? You probably know very little. I knew very little before I prepared this conference. Uh, I do know that uh, as they were lifting her body, it flew to heaven. The, there are three things that make death bitter. Three things. First of all is attachment to the world. Secondly is remorse for sin committed. And the third is the uncertainty of where we're going when we die. None of us are certain of heaven. The departure Mary was entirely free from these three causes of the bitterness of death and was accompanied by three special graces which rendered her death precious and joyful. The blessed everyone passes as they live. She passed as she lived. Entirely detached from the things of the world, she passed in perfect peace. She passed in the certainty of eternal glory. All three of the things which render our lives so bitter. We priests see it. We've seen $500 separate siblings for life at the death of their parents. Squabbling over $500 when the squabble ended, they never talked to each other again. We've seen it in the hospitals as we visit, where people have their, their relatives become deceased, and then they just can't handle it. They don't know where to receive answers. They have no consolation in a good life, the death of a good life. In the first place, there can be no doubt that the attachment to earthly things renders the death of the worldly bitter and miserable. As the Holy Ghost says, O death, how bitter is the remembrance of thee to a man who has peace in his possessions. He derives his peace from his possession, from his gold, from his house, from all that he owns, his business and position. But because the saints die detached from the things of the world, their deaths are not bitter. They're sweet, they're lovely, and they're precious. Every morning the priest reads the martyrology in the breviary at Prime. 
And we read the words, How precious is the death of the martyrs in the eyes of God. How precious. We read in the Apocalypse, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. We read that in the funeral mass. Those who die dead to the world are those who pass into eternity already detached, dead to all affections for terrestrial things, who, like St. Francis of Assisi, found in God alone all his happiness. And those who die detached can say with Thomas, my God and my all. It's a beautiful painting that we have on the altar. This is a brother painting to it of that St. Uh, Wenceslaus. Uh, his, his sword is sheathed. You can't see it for the chair. His sword is sheathed, which symbolizes his purity. He is consecrating himself to Our Lady. That's good King Wenceslaus. The painting in the chapel is of the is St. Francis. And you notice in the lower left-hand corner is the world and his foot's on the world. Just as the Blessed Virgin has her foot on the world to trample the things of the world. One of my sisters, who is an avid reader, she says, uh, she asked me one day, do you know who took Lucifer's place in heaven? I had no idea. It was a very high place. She said St. Francis of Assisi was given that place in heaven, Lucifer's place, because of his love for Almighty God and his detachment to the world. What a wonderful thought. I presume she's correct. She usually doesn't tell me things unless she is correct. But what soul was ever more detached from earthly goods and ever more united to God than the beautiful soul of Mary? She was detached from her parents. For at the age of three, when children are most attached to their parents and when children stand in most need of their assistance, the Blessed Virgin Mary, with the greatest of courage, she left them, and she went to shut herself up in the temple and to attend to God alone. She knew what she was doing. The other three-year-old girls didn't know what they were doing. She knew what she was doing. She was detached from honors. She was loving a humble and abject life, through the, though the honors due to a queen were hers. She was, after all, the descendants of the kings of Israel. The Blessed Virgin Mary told St. Elizabeth, the Blessed Virgin herself, told St. Elizabeth that when her parents left her in the temple, she resolved in her heart to have no father and to love no other than God, no other good than God. St. John saw Mary represented as the woman clothed in the sun who held the moon under her feet. We read, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun and the moon under her feet. The interpreters explained the moon to signify the goods of the world, which, like the world, are, the, these goods are uncertain and they are corruptible, changeable. Okay, all the goods that you possess today will be another's tomorrow. Mary never had these goods in her heart. She always despised them, and she trampled them under her feet, never allowing her affections to center on any earthly thing, except for the souls of men. 
To Mary, then death was not bitter, because she was not attached to the corruptible things of the world. Her passing was so peaceful, because in it she moved closer to the only one she loved in her passing. Peace of mind renders the death of the just most precious. Sins committed during life are the worms, or the termites if you would, that cruelly torment and gnaw at the hearts of the poor dying sinners. Sins committed. They surround him. They appear before him at the divine tribunal. They see themselves at the moment surrounded by their sins. And these sins terrify this dying sinner and cry out, We are thy works. We will not abandon you, even though you wish they would abandon us. Mary certainly could not be tormented at death by remorse of conscience. She was always pure. She never had the least shade of actual or original sin. And so much so that it is said of her, that there is no spot in thee, O Mary. From the moment that she had the use of reason, from the moment of her immaculate conception in the womb of St. Anne, she began to love God with all of her strength. And she continued to do so, always advancing more and more throughout her whole life in love and in perfection. All her thoughts, all her desires, all her affections were of and for God alone. She never uttered a word. She never made a movement. She never cast a glance. She never breathed but for God's glory. She never departed a step or detached herself for a single moment from his divine love. All these lovely virtues that she had practiced during life surrounded her at her passing. And they would not abandon her, just like our sins will not abandon us. These virtues would not abandon the Blessed Mother. That faith so constant, that loving confidence in God, that unconquerable patience in the midst of so many sufferings, that humility in the midst of so many privileges, that modesty and meekness, that tender compassion for souls, that zeal for the glory of God, that perfect conformity to the divine will surrounded her, and all these things consoled her. Raise your children up well, and they will be your glory in heaven. They'll be your consolation in death. Most of you who are married, You'll probably die before your wives. You will be consoled to know that there are children there who will take care of her. That will give you a great deal of comfort. Mary, in passing, she left the apostles to reign as queen over all men and all angels. Finally, the certainty of eternal salvation renders death sweet. The third thing. Death is called a passage. For by death, we pass from a short to an eternal life. Some of you are 50 and 60 years of age or better. That's but a drop in a bucket compared to what eternity is going to be. But a drop in a bucket. 
as the dread of those who indeed of those is indeed great who die in doubt of their salvation and who approach the solemn moment with well-grounded fear like saint augustine uh, passing into eternal death thus on the other hand the joy of the saints is indeed great at the close of life hoping with some security to go and to possess God in heaven with some security. A sister of the order of St. Therese, when a doctor announced to her her approaching death, she didn't know she was dying, perhaps cancer or something, she was so filled with joy that she exclaimed, Oh, how is it, sir? She called the doctor, sir. How is it, sir, that you announced to me such welcome news? And you don't even charge me for it. Okay, he demanded no fee. St. Lawrence Justinian, being at the point of death and, and seeing his servants, his friends, whatever, weeping around him, he said, away with your tears. This is no time to mourn. Go elsewhere and weep. If you would remain with me, rejoice as I rejoice in seeing the gates of heaven open to me, that I may be united to my God. This is St. Lawrence Justinian. St. Peter of Alcantara and St. Aloysius Gonzaga, the statue in the chapel on the epistle side is St. Aloysius Gonzaga. It's a wooden statue, which would make it quite valuable. It was given to us by some very dear friends and parishioners. When it was given to us, somebody had done something to it, painted it somehow, and it didn't look too handsome. I gave it to one of our parishioners, a young lady in our parish in Cincinnati, who redid the face and I think made it look absolutely beautiful. If you need a good artist, give me a call. St. Peter and St. Aloysius Gonzaga and many others, hearing that their death was at hand, burst forth with joy and gladness. And yet they were not certain of being in the possession of divine grace. No man knoweth whether he is worthy or not, Scripture tells us. Nor were they, secure their, were they secure of their own sanctity as the Blessed Mother was. What joy must the Blessed Virgin Mary have felt at the news of her approaching passing. She who had the fullest certainty of the possession of divine grace especially after the angel Gabriel assured her that she was full of grace and that she already possessed God. And well did Mary know herself that her heart was continually burning with divine love. Mary, by a singular privilege, granted to no other saint loved and was always actually loving God in every moment of her life, with such ardor that St. Bernard declares it required a continual or continuous or continued miracle to preserve her life in the midst of such flames of love. People can die of fear. People can die of love. Mary's entire mortification typified by the myrrh that Christ received. Her fervent prayer is signified by the incense that Christ received in Bethlehem and all her virtues typified by the gold united 
to her perfect love for God, enkindled in her a flame so great that her beautiful soul, wholly devoted to and consumed by divine love, arose continually to God as a pillar of smoke, breathing forth every sweet odor. As the Blessed Virgin Mary lived, so she died. So she passed, I'd rather say. As divine love gave her life, so it came for it caused her passing. For the holy doctors and fathers of the church generally say that the Blessed Virgin Mary passed of no infirmity. She passed of pure love. After the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Blessed Virgin Mary remained on earth to further the propagation of the faith. Hence the disciples had recourse to her. She solved their doubts. She comforted them in their persecutions. She encouraged them to labor for the glory of God and to labor for the salvation of souls. She willingly remained on earth because she knew that it was the will of God because she knew that it was for the good of the church that she remained. But she could not but feel the pain of being separated from her beloved son who had ascended years before into heaven. We read in scripture, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Where anyone believes his treasure and his happiness to be, he always holds and loves and desires that place, that thing. That's where his heart is fixed. If Mary then loved no other good than Jesus, he being in heaven, all her desire was to be in heaven. Mary always lived in heaven in her thoughts and in her desires. Her school was eternity, for she was always detached free from the temporal possessions of this world. Her teacher was divine truth, for her whole life was guided by truth alone, as yours and mine must be. Her books were purity of her conscience, in which she always contemplated and rejoiced in her Lord and God. She never admitted any representations into her soul, but those that were reflective of God and His holy will. That is a big lesson that we need to learn here on earth. Our recreations, our arts, our music should be reflective of God, not noise and clutter and stuff that the devil would use to further his cause. She attended solely to the interior sanctification and she was always ready to fulfill the divine commands from God. Her repose was union with God, for he alone was her treasure, and he alone was the resting place of her heart. The Blessed Virgin was consoled during this painful separation by visiting the holy places of Palestine, where her son had been. Days before she passed, knowing that her days were numbered here on earth, she visited the stable of Bethlehem, where her son was born. She visited the workshop of Nazareth, no longer their house, where her son 
assisted St. Joseph. She visited the Garden of Gethsemane, where the apostles slept, where our Lord suffered and began his passion. She visited the Praetorium of Pilate, where her son was scourged. She visited Calvary, where her son was crucified. She visited the Holy Sepulcher, where some years before she had carefully laid the body of her divine son to rest. This is how she would soothe the pains of her exile, when I say exile from heaven. But this could not be enough to satisfy her heart, which was unable to find perfect repose in this world. Her soul yearned for heaven. Her heart desired to be united to her divine son. And God, if I can use the term, unable to resist any longer this desired union, calls his mother and queen to his celestial court. Some days before her death, our Lord sent her the Archangel Gabriel one last time. The same that announced her that she was to be the woman chosen to be the mother of God, says to the Blessed Mother, my lady and queen, God has already graciously heard thy holy desires and hath sent me to tell thee to prepare thyself to leave the earth, for he wills thee in heaven. Come then to take possession of thy kingdom, for I and all its holy inhabitants await and desire thee. For a second time the words part our lady's lips, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. You remember those words, the day that Christ became incarnate, was conceived in the womb of Our Lady. He chose Mary to be his mother. He now chooses her to join him in paradise. Again, God shows infinite liberality in the graces he bestows upon the Blessed Virgin. After the angel disappears, the Blessed Virgin Mary goes to the young St. John, who isn't so young now. St. John was overjoyed that Mary would soon be in heaven. St. John was grief-stricken that Mary would soon be leaving him. John reflects upon the many holy conversations he and Our Lady had, the many hours of prayer that they joined together, the masses that he celebrated, the communions that he gave to Our Lady. After visiting one last time the places consecrated by our Lord's presence, the holy places Mary once again visited, Mary retired to her home to prepare for her passing. Saint Aloysius, I'm sorry, Saint Alphonsus says that the angels make her constant visits, not to console her, but to console themselves, that soon the queen would receive her crown in heaven. St. John Damascene says that all the apostles and the disciples, I presume those of the 72 who were still alive, scattered throughout the world were miraculously brought back to Mary's house that she addressed them. She said to them, My beloved children, through, through love for you, 
and to help you, my son left me here on earth. The holy faith is now spread throughout the world. Already the fruit of the divine seed has grown up. Hence, my Lord, seeing that my assistance on earth is no longer necessary, and compassionating my grief and being separated from him, has graciously listened to my desire to quit this life and to go see him in heaven. If I leave you, my heart remains with you. The great love I bear you, I shall carry with me and always shall I per persevere. I go to paradise to pray for you. Mary had enlightened them in their doubts. She had consoled them in their afflictions. She had strengthened them in their persecutions and now was about to leave them in the midst of so many enemies. Mary encouraged them to accept this bitter pill as the will of God. Don't ask God necessarily to take away the cross. Ask him to strengthen you to carry the cross. She turned her conversation to the apostles. She said, to you it remains to labor on earth for the glory of your Redeemer and for you to make your eternal crown. I do not leave you to abandon you, but to help you still more in heaven by my intercession with God. Labor for the good of souls and for the glory of my Son. For one day we shall meet again in paradise, never more for all eternity to be separated. Mary then composed herself on her bed and awaited for her divine son to call her to paradise. Everyone around was weeping with intense grief as the sword of separation began to pierce their hearts. They just lost our Lord a few years before. They remembered what that was like. And now their confidence was being taken from them. She called Peter and promised her intercession from heaven as he would further establish the church established by her divine son. She called the youngest of the apostle John. She called him my own John. She thanked him for his loving care since the day of her son's crucifixion. She commanded him to remain in peace in this life until we meet again in heaven where I await thee. In all thy wants, call me to thy aid, for I will never forget thee, my beloved son. Then the holy angels come in choirs to meet her, as if to be ready for the great triumph with which they were to accompany her to paradise. She was consoled by the angels, but not totally, not completely, for they couldn't completely console her. The only one that could completely console her was her divine son. Christ comes to take his mother to heaven. It was revealed to St. Elizabeth that Christ appeared to Mary before she expired with the cross in his hands to show the special glory she, he and she had obtained by the redemption. 
St. John Damascene relates that our Lord himself gave Mary holy viaticum, saying to Mary, Receive, O my mother, from my hands that same body that thou gavest to me. Mary received Holy Communion, and then she commended her spirit. She gave her soul to God, blessed with so many graces from conception. She gave him her body, from which he took his own flesh and blood. She then asked her divine son to encourage and to enable the grieving apostles to do great things. As Mary passes, St. Jerome tells us that the apostles then heard the most beautiful music of the angels. St. Francis of Assisi heard one note from an angel, and he fell into ecstasy and said how beautiful it was. Mary's soul was then released to fly to heaven as a dove flies from this earth. Mary then as now looks down upon us pitiful creatures and she showers us with unparalleled graces and solicitude. Till the divine love came and cut the thread of Mary's temporal life. My dear men, this is the end of my conferences. We should petition Mary for the grace of a happy death, perhaps even a Saturday death, where she promises to take so many souls to heaven.